Okay, so this is going to be a little bit um, heavy on the, t- on, the, on the sources because I found when researching this topic that there is um, lots of wonderful Talmudic passages that talk about temptation. And they give very interesting uh, definitions on one hand and also suggestions of how to deal with temptation on the other hand. And therefore, I thought it would be prudent to maybe examine it from that perspective um, because I, I find it very enlightening, the, you know, the, the, um, the light that is shed on this very important topic that we all deal with uh, throughout our lives. So first thing, when we say temptation, let's just say what we're talking about. And what I found from the Talmudic text is that there's really two areas where temptation is being discussed. And you see this again and again. And that is uh, people love uh, uh, food and people love sex. That's what it turns out. It's about sexuality. That's the main uh, arena of temptation being discussed. Um, and the, the pitfalls that befall mostly men. Uh, who um, get too caught up in their sexuality, and also food. And we know that this is this hasn't changed in the Talmud, which is written 2,000 years ago, and people were still the same, and they're still the same today, and they'll be the same you know, in a 1,000 years from now as well. And you find it, it's remarkable. I think if you you research, um, even, you know, like we think of like the people that lived 200 years ago in the shtetl, they were so simple, so happy. All they did, their, you know, they did laundry all all day because they didn't have. They just, they just, yeah, they just were always, you know, washing. Milking cows. Uh, yeah, milking cows, and just they, they, you know, they, you know, the base uh, desires that we have today um, were just so far, you know, beyond what they were thinking. It's t- totally not true. And you see, like, th- yeah, throughout the um, uh, the uh, response of literature. You see some of the themes that the people were doing. It's pretty, uh, pretty apparent that people have had temptations from time immemorial. Okay, so, so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the people, and then, like we said, today, you know, I, I wrote, I wrote specifically in in the in the outline of the of the in the in the you know in the in the invite that it's like people deal with these themes on a day to day basis. You know, how many people? in Houston are on a diet as we speak. Well, me for one. But And you know, if this is my first diet that I actually tried because we did a neighborhood here, Biggest Loser. And and I really want to win. I still plan on winning. But it's so, it's so hard. It really is hard to, to resist temptation. And, um, and you know, it's, and it's a practical thing for people all the time. And so I, what I want to start off with is trying to Figure out exactly, exactly, specifically what it is that um, that causes us to have uh, or to the struggle, this challenge of, of temptation. And now, in in Hebrew, who knows the Hebrew word for temptation? Hebrew speaking people here. So it's because no, it's, it's a term that people are familiar with. Yetzer hara. Everyone's heard that term, right? So it's it translated as the evil inclination, but uh, it, it is the force. It's not something, it's a force that makes people want to follow the temptation. Follow the ta'ava maybe is the better word. But in, in, in Tamir literature, we always see this, this, this same entity talked about all the time, Yetzehara. Yes? I think I have a bad question. Yeah, shoot. <laughs> because I don't want to take you off topic, but um, from 
the Christian perspective, you know, they talk about the devil doing stuff. Yeah. And I know we don't really give the devil that much, uh, not much, he doesn't get much uh, credit. Credit, <laughs> yeah. Or power, we don't give him that much power. Yeah, so like this, um, a few things. Uh, we do have the, the term Satan or Satan is, is, a, is another Christian borrowing from our faith. Uh, but what it means is very different. So um, in Christianity, it means that there's these two forces, like there's God who's the good and there's the Satan, which is evil. We don't believe that. We, we don't believe this. We, there's only one power. Uh, the Satan is a force. Is, a, is the force of evil, and it's actually very closely linked. So it's not just a stu- uh, silly question. It's the same thing. In fact, uh, the Talmud tells us in Babasra 14a that there's uh, the three-headed monster, or these three entities, which is really one power. Uh, one of them is called the Yetzirah, temptation. One of them is called the Satan, which is the the uh, accounting of uh, man's uh, misdeeds. And the last thing is called the Malach the angel of death. Which is like this same entity, the same force uh, tempts man to sin and then uh, uh, recounts those sins in front of the Almighty and then uh, gets permission to take that person's soul away. Yeah. So, but but this is we say that this Satan is like an angel or a force of the Almighty. So, so so, so it's the same term Satan, um, Satan, but it doesn't mean the same thing. And what's interesting is that Talmud tells us. A little off topic, but Talmud tells us is that the the gematria gematria is like the numerical value. Like every letter in Hebrew has a, a number attached to it. So Aleph is one, and, and Bet is two, and going up to ten, and then twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. And it says that the that the numerical value of Hasatan of the Satan is three sixty four, because the power of the Satan recounting the sins of the Jewish people in front of the Almighty has power only for 364 out of 365 days a year, as opposed to Yom Kippur is one day where he has no power. Interesting. 5666? Six, six, six. Huh? Uh, the number is not 666? Six, six. No. Not 364. 666. Six, six. I'm missing some reference here. The devil. Who references? Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 you can tell it is like a, uh, some pop culture reference that is just... <laughs> Okay, so first definition we find in the Talmud, I'll give you the source, it's in Brachos 17a, and it says as follows, and listen to this, it's a a prayer, and so the prayer is, is that, hey, the Jewish people really want to do good, but what prevents them from doing good? The Sa'or Shabi'isa, which means the leaven in the bread. What stops us from 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 doing, uh, you know, from living our lives in a you know in a just fashion is the leaven in the bread, and and this is a name given for the Eitzer Hara or the temptation. Temptation is defined as or is called by another name as the leaven in the bread. Why pray tell would you call temptation leaven in bread? Very strange, huh? That's inherent. It's inherent. Okay, so then there's flour in the bread. Uh, I don't know, it's like leaven in the bread. That is such a strange... Like in Pesach. In Pesach, very good. Pesach, Pesach, we don't put leaven, it's matzah. Okay, so Pesach. So Pesach is the anti... Uh, leaven makes the bread rice. Leaven, you are a lead answer. 
Kai knows all my tricks. <laughs> <laughs> so love and made spread rice. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Okay. No, nothing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, with love is a good thing. Well, then the Yitzhara maybe is a good thing. We no, call... if, it make, if it makes the product become better than itself. Oh, so it improves it. Oh, so you're ooh, I like that. So you're saying it's like a tool, yeah. like it could help you become greater. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Oh, I like that. Hold that thought because I'm going to say something similar. To that it's very interesting. Mm, love it. Okay, so um, an alternative explanation. This is what I came up with. Uh, is that you know we talked about what temptation or what arenas we're talking. You know, said there's food and there's and there's and and there's sexuality. That's what the Talmud discusses in reference to temptation. What uh, important characteristic do, 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 to, do those two entities share? Their drive. Oh, and? 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 They're essential for life. They're essential. These are themes that are like, <laughs> hey, if you don't have food, you know, you're not going to live for that long. And, and if you don't procreate, you're not going to perpetuate the... What's interesting is that these two themes, which are so like the two most important themes, sustenance and continuity for society, for the world, those speci- specifically in the areas where um, so much good happens, there is the, the areas where people have challenges. Because uh, it can be bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the point is, is that it's something which, which could be good, but it could also be bad. Okay, so it means, and, and this and this is an important point is that we don't have we don't believe in, a, a, you know, in abstinence. Abstinence is not, that's a Christian idea. Asceticism is a Christian idea. It's not a Jewish idea. We don't believe in self-flagellation and in, in causing yourself to lose out the pleasures of life. And specifically, we say is that the reason why we're here is for have for pleasure. I mentioned this before. That is the purpose of existence. We don't believe in. In, in, in withholding from, from, from pleasure and even bodily pleasure. So much so is that we say about the Nazir, someone who makes a vow to not drink wine for 30 days. I don't like wine, but I know a lot of people do like wine. So this Nazir who makes a Torahitic vow to say, I'm not drinking wine for 30 days, at the end of, his, of, his, of the period of, of, of 30 days, he has to bring a sacrifice. Why does he have to bring a sacrifice? Says the Talmud, the reason why is because he sinned. Why did he sin? Because he prevented himself or he pained himself uh, by withholding the pleasure of wine, the Almighty gave us pleasures, and they're here to you know they we're we're uh, we're supposed to enjoy it. So if, you, if wine is bringing pleasure, it's okay to not drink it. Huh? Yeah, yeah. You don't have to engorge yourself with all so, the world's pleasure. Since you like wine, no, but the, no, but the the, the 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 important idea is, is that we're here to have pleasure of all sorts. Yeah, I understand. So that that's ready. That's ready. You know, destructive behavior. We're not talking about that. But the the idea of spirituality and physicality and and or materialism not having any overlap is is untrue. Right. Um, the, the idea that physicality, by definition, has to be bad, has to be evil, uh, is 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 an untrue idea. And specifically, we say that. The, the holiest thing that someone can do is, it, 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 you know, is, is, is sexual activity. That's the holiest thing. And therefore, because it has the capacity for so much holiness, therefore, 
by definition, in order for things to be balanced, it has to also have the capacity for the most impurity. And the most, like, and in the wrong context, it's bad, but in the proper context, it could be the most important, the most, most beautiful thing. Right? What does the Talmud tell us? This is going back to Sota uh, 14 or 17a. One of the two. I think 17. It says that if a husband and a wife, Zachu Shechina Benein. If they were Zoha, if a husband and wife, if, if they had merit, then the Shechina, which is loosely defined as the divine presence, is amongst them or between them. And if not, then uh, if, they don't, if they don't merit, then, then a fire will eat them up. Right? And it says, because the name of, of Ish and Isha, man and woman, has the word Ish in it, and Ish means fire, and therefore, if you take the Ish and you add the Yud and the He, which is the Almighty's name, therefore, the, uh, the Almighty is with them. And what the Talmud there is clearly referencing is that when, when, is, the Almighty, when is the Almighty with them? Right? When is this, uh, this wonderful uh, spiritual apex that, uh, that, that, a, that a husband and wife are able to reach uh, together if they're meritorious, right? specifically uh, through, through sexual activity? So it's something which could bring uh, you know, someone to the highest level. Is this a couple of days? <laughs> <laughs> I thought God was everywhere all the time. You said it. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I just, I just, I just, just wanted to look at your face. Yeah. yeah. No, I was looking at her because I That's just didn't say that. You know what I mean? Five seconds of what you said. It's fine, Dana. It's fine. You could, uh, I have a question though. Because yes. you said like God is present and that point. I thought God's always present. What do you mean? I didn't say present. I mean the Shekhinah, whatever that means, the divine presence. It means it's, okay, means it's a, it's a it, I, don't, I, I said loosely translated as a divine presence. Okay, that's what Not I Not God is present, but the divine presence. Exactly. Think of P being capitalized. Mm-hmm. You know? gotcha. Now what that means exactly, I don't know. But what it certainly connotes is a certain degree of spiritual height uh, or spiritual accomplishment or spiritual uh, level. So, so, so this is something which is very interesting, that these arenas of our life, while being all, on one hand essential to continuity of, of man and society, also areas where man can reach tremendous um, uh, levels of spiritual uh, heights. And we know that all of, uh, almost all of the Jewish holidays, for example, have mitzvot, commandments related to eating. Right? Everyone says, oh, hey, Jewish holiday, they tried to kill us. They failed, and I let's eat, right? <laughs> yeah, because uh, Jewish holidays are always associated with food because we say that food, and uh, you know, has spiritual capacity in the right setting, right? You know, in the, in the right context. Uh, once well, again, like, the idea like of something a can kill you with the grease that's in them. Huh? That's true. I mean, That's a true. A, a latke? latke? A latke. It's a latke. Well, latke, we're north, northeasterns. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That's how we say it. <laughs> they say latke. That's how we say it. I mean, that, that's <laughs> one of the least healthy things you can possibly eat, but it's a commandment to eat them, right? Well, it's not really a commandment because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's done, yeah, it's done to try to memorialize and remember. Well, the commandment is we have to eat matzah, right? Eating matzah and and once again, matzah is unleavened bread. So this is so this is the this is something we're gonna have the the fine line we're gonna have to always walk is that um, the temptation, um, maybe even lust, uh, 
you know, or, or the, these, these drives uh, almost always have like kosher outlets and not only kosher outlets, healthy, good out, outlets. And, and only in certain contexts, in certain situations, are they bad? And are they something that we need to, uh, you know, that, that are a struggle for us? Otherwise, it's something which is perfectly fine. Uh, but back to Sa'ar Shabisa, back to the definition of defining the evil inclination as being, um, as being the, um, is that my kid? Uh, as being, <laughs> yeah. as being the leaven of the bread. Now, someone brought up matzah, right? Matzah. Matzah is unleavened bread. Bread is leavened bread. What's the difference between matzah and bread? Well, matzah looks like a flat pancake, like very thin. And bread is all big. Right? And essentially, if you take a look at the ingredients of matzah and the ingredients of bread, they are identical, save the leaven. Right? Flour, water makes matzah. Flour, water, leaven makes bread. And you take a look at bread and matzah, they look totally different. They look totally different. While essentially they're the same thing. On, on, on a nutritional level, you were to break it down to the molecules of what you're actually consuming, it's the same thing. Right? It's 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 flour and water. But somehow this leaven has the ability to make it so big, to embellish and aggrandize the the, the flour and water and make it look just like something so fantastic. Perhaps the Yetzihara or the temptation being compared to leaven, the lesson is that what it does is it takes something and makes it seem so much bigger. It's embellishment, right? It's so hard to resist temptation. Why? There's this urge that we have when we see the cupcake or whatever, uh, fill in the blank of whatever the temptation is. It's something which seems insurmountable. It seems insurmountable, right? Because the power of the power of the fantasy of, uh, I'm sorry, that's the end. The power of the temptation is to create this fantasy, to, to, to create a reality that's actually not there. And you know what? If you were to withhold a little bit from the cupcake, yeah. to withhold, it's, it's not such a, and to wait five minutes and the temptation passes, you, you, don't, you don't even get excited about it. Right? There's this burst of, of fantasy, of aggrandizement, of embellishing the pleasure that, you would, that would ensue from eating that cupcake. Or, or giving into that temptation, or fulfilling that temptation, and then it disappears. Right? It, it takes something which, which is really matzah. It's just, just flour and water. Makes it look so much bigger. And now, cue to the second Talmudic source. And this is also a very interesting, strange, I think, or at least uh, face value, very strange statement that we find in the Talmud in Sukkah 52a. <laughs> And it says that in the future, Latid Lavo, in the future, the Almighty is going to take the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, and slaughter him in front of everyone. Have you heard this one, Michelle? The Almighty is going to take the, 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 the temptation and slaughter him, okay, this power. And the Tzadikim, the righteous people, are going to be crying. And the, and the, the wicked people, the Rishayim, are going to be crying. Everyone's crying. And the tzaddikim, the, the righteous people, are crying, how did we overcome such a mountain? How did we overcome such a mountain? And the rishaim, the wicked people, are saying, how do we trip over this strand of here? How do we falter? How do we stumble over this strand of here? So, obviously, if you want to analyze this piece of Talmud correct, uh, properly, 
you want to say, okay, why are they crying? What does it mean to slaughter an evil inclination? What does that mean? Uh, uh, why, if you're crying, are you, are you saying tears of joy? These are all the questions you would ask. But I think the most basic fundamental question that you have on this piece of Talmud is, how is it possible that the same thing, Yetzahara, same thing was slaughtered, and one person views it as a mountain, and they're crying, how do we overcome such a mountain? And the other people, are, are the guy sitting right next to them is saying, how do we trip over a strand of here? How is it possible that one thing, one item, one entity, can look so radically different to two different people? How is it possible that Sadiq, the righteous person, views the Yetzirah temptation as a mountain, while the, uh, the wicked person views it as a strand of hair. Because the righteous and, person struggled not to be tempted and fall into that category of, you know, sun coming from Okay, the so therefore... But wicked people just throw, like, cupcake, eat it, you know? Pizza, eat it, like, whatever. It was the best uh, way just... No, but no, well, I, I agree to what you're saying, but let me just finish the question. I mean, say the question. You would think that if, if a wicked person, you would think, is someone who always dips into temptation. So they should be someone who um, can't resist temptation. So maybe it should seem even greater. The temptation should seem even greater. That, that's, you know, not all, right? But someone who constantly resists temptation, maybe it should seem smaller. But I think what you're saying is correct. I'm, I'm well, what does that one else say? I mean, I would agree with that. Because yeah. if you're a wicked person, you don't think, everybody thinks that he's just like, Oh, well, it's just a strain. I, I walk over this all the time. This no, is just the way things go. That's the way it is. But okay. if you're a righteous person, you're like, oh, well, I shouldn't do this. So you're saying that 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 the that the difference between the rich, the, 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 the righteous and the wicked is how they view temptation. One guy says, well, it's no big deal. Doesn't see a problem with that, you're saying. Right. Right. I, I think he's on the same page. I guess exactly what he's saying. Yeah. Anyone has maybe an alternative idea? Okay. Well, also, it could be not just intelligence, it might be education. True. I think it really depends on that because intelligence and education can also lead you in the wrong direction to your own conclusions. What do you say then? I mean, they actually you saw it the opposite way before. I think before the righteous saw it, they were able to overcome it. They didn't think it was that big of a deal. They were less tempted. The wicked saw it as some huge thing that they couldn't overcome, and so they gave in to it. And then once it, somehow, once it was slaughtered, and they saw it slaughtered. The righteous said, "Oh my gosh, I really have been over." And I had this reaction of, "Oh, that thing that I was able to overcome actually." was bigger than I thought, and somehow the wicked one said, oh, well, if this thing can be killed, then no I should have been able to, to get over it before. And so actually Interesting. So you're saying that maybe well, maybe after maybe after, after it was slaughtered and, and its true nature was, like, was revealed... Just well, it was it, like slaughtered. So you're saying the slaughter changed. Right, saying that, right, saying that, that it is uh, slaughterable. But it was slaughtered by God. It wasn't slaughtered by like some guy with a sword. Like, yeah, but remember, what, what, it was a pretty big thing. God had to slaughter it. Apparently. See, this is what I love. We take a piece of a, like a peculiar or, or intriguing piece of Talmud, and like you see so many different um, perspectives, and it's correct because uh, another piece of Talmud tells us is that that Torah is like a like a it's like a rock, 
right? Like a, like a, like a hammer smashing a rock. Kipatishi potet sela, which is some verse somewhere in, in the Bible, somewhere like in, I don't know where. I can find it for you. And like, I, no, I know, but I, I, I'm not, I don't make it up. I don't make it up. And just like if you take a hammer and you smash a rock, it goes into many shards, into many different directions, so too every piece of Torah to so many different perspectives. It's not just... I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to argue that my perspective that I have is more correct than what the wonderful perspectives that were presented at the table. But my perspective is, maybe the difference is whether or not you gave in to the temptation. Right? Someone has a temptation. The cupcake. The aforementioned cupcake, and it seems there's this. It seems like it's 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 the leaven. It, it seems so much bigger. It seems like irresistible. It's a mountain. One guy gives in. He's the wicked person. To him, he is when he views it. He views it from the other side. He already crossed that river. He already saw the true nature. He's like after he ate it. Was it really that good? Was it really worth worth it? Nah, it wasn't. It. Post facto, right, after indulging, right, then the allure of the pizzazz doesn't exist. The fantasy is already uh, destroyed. To, he sees it's nothing more than just a, a strand of strand of here, right? It's just matzah. It's flat. It's it's not, not impressive. It is what it is, right? But it, it doesn't have that same quality of making it seem so much more impressive. But the tzaddik, the righteous one, well, he didn't give in. So to him, it was always was a mountain, right? And to him, he was just so he was so appreciative of the you know, and, and that's what it was to him because he was always pre-indulgent, uh, so pre-giving into his temptation. Right? Therefore, to him, it's it's, it's just I mean, how was I able to overcome such a mountain? Just once again, this goes very well with what I said earlier that maybe um, when it says that. The, the temptation is the leaven in the bread. What it means is, is that it takes something which is essentially you know, just matzah and it makes it seem so much bigger. And it takes a pleasure, which is a pleasure, but it makes it seem that much more irresistible. Right? And therefore, if you, don't, if you don't give in, well, you might have that uh, perspective of it being irresistible. If you've never eaten a cupcake, though, you wouldn't be tempted to eat it, would you? That's true. I've never experienced a cupcake that that's a good point. Three Brothers Bakery, it's amazing. Well, I like this. So let me tell you something. This is interesting because there's um, there's a whole debate, very as to whether or not um, if you take like a M and M's, right, or uh, all the Hershey's and Nestle chocolate, if you take the kosher symbol, a lot of kosher symbols on them, almost all of them, and there's the OU, right, the ever-present ubiquitous OU, and some of them have a OU and then a D afterwards. So what does D mean? Dairy. It means dairy. Uh, but what it, some people that who uh, eat kosher, they say, I'm not eating O-U-D. Why? Because the milk comes, milk wasn't supervised by Chalav Yisrael. Very good. The term Chalav Yisrael. It wasn't supervised by, by a Jewish person. And uh, if, if you know, we're worried, or the concern is that, well, maybe it's not really cow's milk, maybe it's pig's milk, whatever. So that's why... Um, so that's why, um, uh, they, they, that's why, at least in olden times, people wouldn't—you were not allowed to eat. The Talmud tells you, you know, we're not, you're not allowed to eat milk, drink milk from a non-Jew. Because well, who says it's milk of a kosher animal? You, right? A non-kosher animal is non-kosher, and its eggs and its milk are also non-kosher. 
But, uh, and then Rabbi Mo- no animal that has eggs and milk. Whatever. What? What and what? There's no animal that has eggs and milk. It's not kosher? There's no animal that has eggs. Uh, both. I'm saying either one, that's the point. No, birds of prey. Well, that, that's, the, that's the point. My point is, is that not only the non, not only not let you eat a non-kosher animal, <laughs> right? If it if it is a bird that has eggs that's non-kosher, right? You know, you eat those. And no, 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 it has no, milk. no, no, I'm not distinguishing what's kosher. No, I'm just saying you're not going to have an animal who can both have. That okay, correct. But if it's a non-kosher no, animal, you're not allowed to consume. Yes. Not allowed to consume a non-kosher animal or the derivatives of a non-kosher animal. Apart from the kosher rules, what makes a food a bad temptation? What makes? Oh no! Well, maybe excessive overeating, um, like eating if it's not healthy, or eating after you're full, right? We know if you, if you, you know, temptation is something which you just know you shouldn't be doing it. Maybe it's wrong. Either it's wrong because it's not kosher, like from a religious perspective, or it's wrong because it's against your diet, or it's wrong because it's excessive. And it's just like, you don't want to just order one more thing, and well, you really don't need it, you know? For whatever reason why it's wrong, there could be a temptation. Jewish grandmother finished her the Talmud clearly define what makes certain foods or certain ways of eating. You know, there are people who don't need to be on a diet, who aren't overweight or at risk of being overweight. Yeah, so is it the healthfulness that's the criteria, or the... Magnitude, the excess? Um, well, the Talmud... the inclination, the motivation? The Talmud talks about temptation. I said it talks a little bit about food, but primarily it's always, it's there, always with the story, with, with, with sexual uh, sexual misdeeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting back, getting back to this... Uh, this so sexual misdeeds, huh? what you get to what... Yeah, what Sexual misdeeds... Oh, there's some, some stories. Some, there's some good stories. And... Uh, there's a bunch of good stories. Uh, I'll try to give a few of them. But anyhow, so this, so so there's some people that won't eat OUD. So people that never tasted M and M's or Snickers, or and to them, like I don't remember if we got to this, but to them, like you said, if you never had a, a right, cupcake, but, else had it, but, yeah. but to them, like, like to them, it's like, oh my gosh, like you're able to eat, like you know, like the first time you taste it, it's like, and they, they make it so much bigger, they make it seem so much more amazing. And it's, it is pretty awesome. For example, uh, a rabbi I know, he like, isn't appetized by a cheeseburger at all. He never had one, you know, and if someone tells me, it just it doesn't appetize to him. Just because it's, you know, not kosher, and he just never had one, so, it's it, him, it just makes him feel sick to even think about one. So, it would kind of be the same way with M&M's, wouldn't it? I mean, Maybe well because it's 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 kind of on the doorstep of being coach. <laughs> it's it's within the wheelhouse, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's close enough. It's we got know the OU. It isn't, but this might need a cow's milk. So I get it. Okay, so um, so the characteristics that we have of temptation, just giving a definition of what temptation is, it's something which takes a pleasure or maybe even an essential pleasure in life. You're doing it right there, Trevor. Two yeah. Sorry, and it makes it seem yeah. seem bigger, yeah. and um, and it's and it's all it's all perspective. If, you know, it, after you do something, you know, there's the uh, it's called the the bad aftertaste. This bad aftertaste that you know the feeling that you have after you do something that you know you wish you hadn't. Give it doesn't feel good, right? Why? Because then you don't have the allure of the temptation. The fantasy, it, you know, it disappears with with the um, 
uh, with the uh, indulgent. Indulgence. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. So now, okay, fine. So we all understand what temptation is. Let's try to figure out how we could address it. And I said it. I said that there's four Talmudical perspectives on it. I, I couldn't remember the fourth one. I was trying to remember. I knew there were four. There are four. I'm going to give you guys uh, three. Okay. So let's start with the first story. The first story of the day we find, and this will help Dan also. Uh, I'm talking about this Roman noble woman who is trying to uh, bait one of the great rabbis to sleep with her. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> and it says here that uh, Rabbi Tzadok, his name was Rabbi Tzadok, so there was this woman, this noble woman, who uh, tried to seduce him to sleep with her. And he tells her, what is he, what's his response? Marlah, he said to him, Oh, my heart isn't feeling well, and I, I'm I'm not uh, able to. And is there something to eat? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so those are the same. So he says he's not feeling well. He wants something to eat. So what happens? <laughs> uh, so she says to him, "Yeah, there is something to eat, but it's not kosher." I'm going to eat your devil tongue, which is not kosher. So he says back to her, he says, what's the difference? If I'm doing uh, said activity, right, uh, you know, then I can, it means that if I'm anyhow disregarding my morals, then we can throw this in. So what happened? So she put on the, the, the oven and she put the food, she was warming up the food, so to speak. Uh, so he went and jumped in the oven. What? He, he jumped into the oven. He jumped into the oven. That's what it says. Uh, and she's like, what? I'm late. She said to him, what are you doing? So he says, I'm law. So he said back to her, someone who does this goes here. Someone who does this goes here. So then she says to him, if I knew that you, uh, you didn't want to do this uh, promiscuous uh, act, you know, to such a great extent, I wouldn't have even started up with you. That's the story. Declare if she or he were married? Uh, yeah, he was most certainly married. She, maybe, yes, maybe no. We don't know about that much. It's un- unnamed much. He says, for a noble woman. And this we know that's Roman because that's the time period. That's the story. And, um, and this is this this whole this whole section is talking about uh, temptation. Different, and it brings another story in here. And it always talks about these great rabbis that had these crazy temptations. She's like, whoa, what's going on here? Anyhow, but uh, what, 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 what's the takeaway? What was the first thing that he did, right? He was presented with a temptation. And clearly, it's like, you know, he's a healthy uh, male, a healthy man, and he, obviously, he had a struggle. What was his response? And, and remember, these stories aren't always, there's no... The Torah, the Torah, for sure, but even the Talmud doesn't tell us stories unless there's a lesson. So what's the lesson of the story? Well, we see it, you know, a great, a great rabbi who has, a, who has a challenging situation and his response. So his response to the situation... Change subject. Huh? Change the subject. He's like, well, I'm not feeling well. Give me something to eat. So, so just... Yeah, my, heart's not, my heart's not well. Right? Give me something to eat. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. I don't know. Well, we don't know. Maybe he was hot. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't. And like I said, there's multiple uh, ways to analyze 
there's multiple ways to analyze this. Right, because she didn't feed him, right? She did not feed him anything. So maybe after he had some food, he would have felt better and then succumbed to the temptation. And also, we don't know when, at one point in time, was he actually considering doing it, and when did that change? Right. It's possible that the second, the second that she told him that, well, he want then you know he already turned on. At least his response was already that. Well, maybe, maybe or, or I means you could say, hey, he really wasn't feeling well, and he really wanted uh, to uh, engage in that activity. And then he said, oh, well, so give me some food. I can't, yeah, I need some food first. And uh, and he's giving some food first. And then he's like, well, I only have non food. Well, okay, I'll take the non food. Who cares what the heck, right? And then he sees the fire. And then maybe maybe that was the shift. Maybe that was the shift. That's possible. That that, that was his, the, the change. But, you know, that means... And, and, and then what, uh, what the lesson would be is that, hey, he saw the fire. And he said, oh, gosh... Fire, punishment, maybe I'll be punished for what I'm doing, and then that's where he changed his mind. I mean, he had some sort of he took inspiration from the story, from the from the circumstances, from the surroundings, maybe. My question is, what would have been worse? Engaging sexual activity or eating food? Well, we don't know. Well, he didn't do either. No, I'm saying, that. like, what is the rule on that? Like, when they're both married and they cheat and have sexual activity, or if he's not going to uh, Which one's worse? Yeah, is there a, is there a level of which one's worse? Uh, well, you want to know which one, like, which one is punished worse? Is that the question? Yeah, I mean... Uh, well, I think both of them are very bad, right? right. Yes, yeah. they're both very bad. Um, uh, which one's worse? Well, well, yeah, but remember, you have to worry about your own, uh, your, you know, the question is from his perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, remember she says she's not she's not even Jewish, so she just, she might have like Noahide laws to deal with and her own responsibilities. But you know he's held to a higher standard. So it's worse to if you're Jewish to sleep with a non-Jewish woman than a Jewish woman. How was that? <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, she he just said. And you said something about her being Jewish. And- Batami said, "Well, there's two people involved." I said, "He did something to worry about her, and plus, her her transgression will be in a totally different level because she's a non-Jew. She's not held up the same high standard." I didn't say anything about her. <laughs> it's interesting how uh, how the result, you know, is yeah. Okay, what's the problem? Ask the question. Okay. And then he turns it around and says, well, if I'm going to do that anyway, then you might as well feed me also something that's not kosher. Which, by the way, is another great lesson. What's the lesson? Um, that sometimes when you eat the one cupcake, you want like 12 more. You're going to binge. Brilliant. Binge. That's a binge, right? Yes, that is good. Binge. And he was like saying, oh, okay, what the heck? I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I'll do that already. It's all like, and that, that's a bad idea to... You know, when you have one cake, you have to have 12. Like, well, you have one, and that's it. Move on. Yeah, so the lesson shouldn't be that, like, if you're doing something wrong, that you can go ahead and do something else that's bad. It shouldn't be that each act in and of itself. Well, he didn't actually, in the end. No, but I'm saying, like, that was kind of where I was going in my head with the story. I think what happened is he was trying to teach her a lesson. He could have easily said no. I'm not so convinced that he ever really thought about taking her up on it. But instead of... 
just walking away. He said, from the whole, from the, from the beginning, he knew you would give off for He was showing her, oh, you know. She said he wasn't okay. really oh, that he wasn't, he saw it as an opportunity. Well, he, she clearly was a, uh, a woman of, of some power. Like I said, Mashonisa means she was a noble woman. So but he's that, a rabbi. We so know rabbis he, are already, always totally in control of their impulses. Well, who said that? You're making a joke. So he didn't want to offend her. Or maybe he, he was beholden to her in some way. Yeah, but I think that last sentence is key to the story. Is that you shouldn't appear to be able to be tempted by to be seduced by someone. Yeah, you but for the appearance that you would be able to, she would be able to seduce him. No, but this, but but who says that he wasn't indeed, he wasn't indeed tempted? Maybe he was. And in fact, you just reminded me. Of temptation. She's saying he was like maybe putting himself in a situation. Well, you're saying, well, why did she? Why did she? Why did she go after him? Maybe he put himself in a in a compromising situation, yeah. which why? made himself more liable to be. Yeah. He didn't take preventative yeah. measures. Interesting. And what I you reminded me of another story in the Talmud where one of the great rabbis Abaya he said he saw a boy and a girl frolicking. And uh, they walked into the forest, and he says, I'm going to follow them and bust them. And he says, they walked through the forest, and he was like walking behind them quietly. And then they walked out of the forest. And he, and he said about, he's like, and he's like, and they seem to have never have any intention of doing anything, uh, you know, anything, anything wrong. And he said, he says, if it was me, I never would have, I just know I would have overcome my temptation. That's what he says. And the 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 um, the final line of that particular piece of Talmud is that the greater someone is, the greater the temptation is. It means every degree that someone grows grows in spiritual uh, uh, spiritual uh, totem pole, there correspondingly they that means you would think well maybe, maybe then they have less temptation. No, the opposite is true. They have greater temptation. This is my bit. Oh, I've been so spiritual. I've been so good. Maybe it's not so bad to just do that once. Just once. Like for an alcoholic, it's never just one glass. Just one beer. <laughs> okay, so this this aforementioned Rabbi Tzadok, right? He has the noble one tries to seduce him. Maybe this is never mind. Not not to say that anyone else's uh, uh, position perspective is is untrue, but maybe the lesson here is one of delay. And I know that, that one of the commentaries on this particular piece of Talmud says that what he was trying to do by saying, oh, I'm not feeling well, my heart's not well, give me some food, was a tactic to give him some more time. Oh, like you said, if you need to come right away, it won't be so Yes, better. and... Maybe he was leading her on. Well, like you said, there's... there's <laughs> old man, right? No, there's, there, uh, as I said, there's multiple explanations, but I've seen this one is a sanctioned... <laughs> Fully sanctioned by some commentary, so therefore, I, and, 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 I, and I think it's actually true because I've actually tried it when, on my on my particular diet. I'll tell you the story, but um, and, and that is that. Like, okay, so if someone is presented with a temptation, right? And well, like I said a temptation is it creates a fantasy, it creates an illusion, it, it aggrandizes, embellishes, makes something seem seem too too good to resist, right? The longer you delay. 
and don't give in, the less exciting it gets. Like it, it, it has a has a timetable. It means if you, you know, um, you know, if, if you're able to, if you, you know, if, if 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 you know the peak of passion, right? If you're able to just wait five minutes, go outside and smoke a cigarette, right? So the, the smoke a cigarette, which is a term not necessarily for tobacco, but to, but to, but to, but to take your mind off it and move on something else. Well, you can very easily pass it. Well, how about you know, something a little more dynamic than just food? How about like in relationships? There are guys that that date non-Jewish women, she says, for instance, and then all of a sudden they go, they go and say, you know, I should be dating a Jew, but then they see that they perceive Jewish women as ten times more difficult and and highbrow and whatever than the Shiksa counterparts. So despite despite the length of time in that relationship and things changing, there's always a new dispute to deal with, a new a new conflict to get over, and so on and so forth. So it just kind of keeps reappearing. It like it reaffirms the transformation, though. Yeah, and it doesn't just, it doesn't just refuse. And you know, people like uh, I don't remember who brought this up. I think maybe it was Michelle. Um, that we we live in a world where we're going to be constantly encountering temptations because that's the only way to grow. That we said, right? And there's no way to avoid uh, making free will decisions and having challenges because that's what we're here for. So yes, there's no there's there's no there's there, you know there's no uh, one decision you can make and just. Silence it and, and move on. You know, deal the rest of your life with. No, there's we we here to work. We're here to we we we're here to toil. Right? We're here to we we here on we're humans and therefore we have challenges. We're the most intelligent of all people uh, of of all, of all creatures and we're the only ones that need to have professions. And or other worlds we starve. What does the Bible or Talmud say about Jews dating non-Jews? Jews dating non-Jews or Jews marrying non-Jews? Like what? Yeah. So this question was actually posed by uh, by uh, Napoleon. You can look it up. Napoleon, uh, he had a very very progressive ideas. He was the first one to give Jews citizenship, and like uh, he had this all these grand plans of making of having the Jews being integrated, and a third of them should intermarry. He had a whole grand plan. And he asked like this council of rabbis. He established this on Hebron, seventy rabbis. He asked this council of rabbis, what are the, what you know what's the Jewish position on uh, on Jews marrying, uh, intermarrying. And what they told him was that uh, from the, from the well, the biblical prohibition of against uh, not marrying, marrying non-Jews uh, is only really for the seven Canaanite nations. <coughs> uh, the seven nations that the Jews encountered when they got uh, out of Egypt and went to Israel, right? Joshua, the book of Joshua. Joshua, so the so the prohibition against marrying a non-Jew from the Torah is um, is only for those. But um, there are other sources that clearly clearly um, mention uh, the fact that Jews should only be marrying Jews. Like I just throw one out, which is uh, a, re- a remarkable. Well, for other for this reason and plus other reasons, a remarkable statement that we find that says that uh, this is back to Gehenna and back to purgatory. And I, I, I never talk about purgatory because there's not so many Jewish sources about it. But the one source that does talk about it uh, says that uh, Avram Avinu, 
Abraham is going to sit on the doorstep of Gehenna, which is loosely translated as the purgatory, and uh, uh, and he's not going to let any Jew get in. Not let any Jew, and another source that says he's not going to let anyone who has a Brit Milah to get in. Right? San, right, except for a Jew who undergoes a uh, circumcision reversal surgery, which was very popular in the Roman times, able to pull back the foreskin, and someone who sleeps with an Anjou. Right? And because Abraham is the one who was the uh, who had the who had the brit, right? He was the one who made the covenant with the Almighty, right? That your children will be my children, your native nation, like, and that was uh, all uh, solidified, cemented by this brit milah, by the circumcision, and and therefore he's the one who says, well, if, if you're if you're Jewish and you're and you're loyal to your nation, right, and you have the mark, the stamp of Abraham, well, then you can't go into this place called Gehenna or Purgatory or hell, whatever it means. Can be punished in a certain sense, but if someone rejects that, either by undergoing the circumcision reversal surgery or by sleeping with with non Jews, well, then doesn't have that doesn't have that that measure of protection. So yes, so like from from a clearly um, like uh, you know letter of the law, someone who marries a non Jew or sleeps with a non Jew, well, you said, like I said, it's, is it a prohibition, well, it may be yes, and we know it's to dispute whether or not the, uh, the prohibition against marrying non-Jews is only the seven uh, Canaanite nations. I think I said originally that it's only seven. I think it's a dispute whether or not that also includes other non-Jews. Uh, but clearly, it's something which is, um, you know, which is uh, viewed uh, unfavorably. Even the point of sleeping with a non-Jew, if you correct. marry a Jew. Correct, right. It says sleeping, right. What, like for papers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, there's there's more there's there's more on that topic, and you know, and it's a very it's a very timely discussion, very contemporary discussion, because you know, intermarriage is huge. Like, you know, the, that recent uh, the one that the, you said you couldn't stop reading the Pew yeah. Research poll comes <laughs> 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 totally different. Right, right. They have their own, right? But uh, right, correct. Yeah, but uh, but intermarriage is right now. It's it's just it's ravaging the Jews. That's the question. If a Jew non-Jewish man marries a woman, the kids are still Jewish. If a non-Jewish, what you saying? If the mother is Jewish, yeah, correct. But if the mom is not is not Jewish and the dad is, and the kids are Jewish, so is there a difference in that? Well. The, the reason why what's interesting is because if your dad is a coin, then you're a coin. And if your it's mom's true. a coin oh, and your dad's a regular Israelite, then you're a regular Israelite. So it seems like the genealogy should go after the dad. Right, but How all, come, don't all religions go with the mother, whatever she is, the kid is? No, no other religions. The Muslim well, doesn't work like that. that change anyway? It used to be by the father. What used to be by the father? Well, it does go. It does go. It never changed. The thing actually never changed. And but what it, most people don't know this. Even people that know like a lot of Talmud, they don't know actually. Everyone assumes well, the Judaism goes from the mother. But then which like if you're going to be a Cohen or a Levi or an Israelite, or which that goes to the dad? And that seems silly. Why would Not that be true? Uh, yeah, but but the answer to that question is is and you open a Talmud. I give the source if you want to look it up. It's in. 
Yavamos, it's in either 23 or 24, A in the bottom. I don't know which one. The Talmud or the Talmud? The Talmud. No, the Talmud elaborates on a Torahitic verse. And Torah says, the Talmud, the way the Talmud presents it, I know this is way off topic, but it's a little off question. like that. The way the Talmud presents it is that typically the genealogy goes after the death. So for someone's, if someone's dad is a non-Jew, right, and the mom's a non-Jew, well, then they're non-Jewish because their dad's non-Jewish, right? Uh, and if someone's Jewish and their mom's Jewish and dad's Jewish, well, they're Jewish because their dad's Jewish. And if their dad's a Kohen, so they're a Kohen. If dad's a Levi, then they're a Levi. If dad's an Israelite, then they're an Israelite. Um, like, my, my, like, I'm a regular Israelite, but my mother's family is from the Levi. Uh, they're, they're Levi's. Uh, but I'm a regular Israelite because my dad is, for, is a regular Israelite. However, what the Talmud says is that there's two exceptions to that. This rule of always going after the, the, the dad, there's two exceptions when there's intermarriage. Right? Either if the dad is Jewish and the mom's not Jewish. So then we say, we don't look at the dad. For whatever reason, we imagine the dad's not there. So all we have is a single family, single parent family. Is that again? If the mom is Jewish and the dad is not? If the mom, no, if the dad is Jewish and the mom is not okay. Jewish, we then we say we don't look at the dad. For whatever reason, it says, it says bin That's what it says. Which means is that basically, if you're talking to the grandfather, if your son marries a non-Jew, we don't look at your son. I.e., so the kids are non-Jewish, like the mom. Why? Why? What's the logic for that? I don't know if there's any logic for it. It's just it's the, what the how the Torah defines. The Torah defines. Yeah. It? Well, the, the, it's it's a Torahed verse, but the Talmud. Uh, elaborates in What's the other exception? Huh? What's the other exception? The other exception is when the opposite is true. Oh, so it's solely for intermarriage. But where, what's, okay. which verse is it referencing? It is referencing, I think it's somewhere in Deuteronomy. So, so if, it, if a non-Jewish man... Uh, what's the other source? Jewish father and non-Jewish mother. Okay, the verse is in um, Deuteronomy chapter uh Seven, uh, verse four. What? Deuteronomy seven. seven. I thought, and you've almost it's twenty three. Well, I, I guess that makes sense because of the facts. I don't know if it, it has to be logical. It's just that's just the way it is. When did it switch? When did it switch? Yeah, but but we the, 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 the but that was before Judaism, right? I, I guess the right. Yeah, because we, we we don't you know this. I've said this before, right? He's like in, he's called Avram Ha'ivri, the Hebrew. So I mean, Judaism, we say, is from Exodus, like from the Torah, the Sinai experience. That's became a nation. I think that the logic might be the logic might be that whenever a woman is pregnant, right, we don't actually ever know for sure when I would DNA test, we don't actually know for sure who the husband is. Uh, 
So we just assume that, oh, who the father is, I meant. We assume that every time a, uh, a, a woman is pregnant and she's married, well, we can safely assume that the majority of sexual interaction that she had was with her husband. And that's what the Talmud race says that, is that. We assume, otherwise, well, how do you know that someone's your, like if someone is your daughter, how do you know for sure that you're your daughter? Right? The, the Talmud asks this question, wait, if someone sleeps with his daughter, then the Torah says, sorry for saying that, <laughs> if someone sleeps with his daughter, the Torah says that they commit capital crime. Well, how do you know that it's really his daughter who says that his wife uh, was totally faithful to him? Maybe it was someone else's daughter. How do we kill them? That's the question. Huh? So we have a presume. We presume that right. So we presume that uh, that the majority or the, the majority of of, of, a, of a woman's sexual attractions are with her husband. So therefore, if this is the mom, this is the dad. Maybe, maybe when there's intermarriage, we don't make that assumption. So therefore, we just look at the mom and 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 if you know whatever the mom is, that's where the child is. That might be the logic behind that. But that's the rule but, now, right? Huh? Well, correct, because e- either way, if there's any sort of intermarriage, then we just right. we don't make that assumption. Huh? I'm sorry. According to the logic, logic, but that what I was trying to explain is that maybe if there is an intermarriage, we don't make that assumption. And if we make an assumption that all we have is the mom, and we don't, we don't, we don't know, we don't know that it's called woman's pregnant, we don't know how are we, how are we supposed to know which, which, you know, who is the real dad, you know, how are we supposed to know? Well, with the DNA testing now. Well, DNA testing. That's like, it's like we said. That's is, uh, does DNA? Are you able to prove conclusively DNA? Well, I guess you are. But yes. uh, I understand. <laughs> I'm saying, but, but <laughs> question not, would it be? Uh, and is there anything wrong with consensual sex between unmarried, unrelated people? Is there anything wrong with consensual sex of unmarried people? Unmarried, unrelated people of different sexes, <laughs> different genders. So like this. Um, once again, from a prohibition standpoint, uh, if the woman is a nida, which she probably is, Nida. Nida means a woman who, who uh, uh, has uh, had a uh, has had a period. And, um, <laughs> you guys even have names for that? Like different, like for children versus like teenagers versus like adult no, women no, versus no, adult no, women before they had other... Yeah, so that would be oh, any woman. Okay. Or any, really any Jewish woman. Which is, it's ironic that sometimes when someone actually marries Jewish, from a letter of the law perspective, they're actually doing something which is worse than if they're intermarried. Because like I said, from a letter of the law, intermarriage is not really, we said maybe it is, maybe it is um, part of the same uh, prohibition of lotus chaten by don't marry them, don't marry non-Jews, which either could mean only the seven Noahide nations, uh, not Noahide, seven Canaanite nations, uh, or maybe it means all non-Jews, but even then it's only a, a prohibition that doesn't include the uh, kares, which is a more stronger part of prohibition. But uh, that woman would not have the prohibition of, of kares that comes along with nida, because from a Torahitic perspective, a non-Jewish woman does not have nida. So the, 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 the prohibition that comes with sleeping with a woman who hasn't gone to the mikvah after she's had a menstrual cycle... Uh, doesn't apply to non-Jews. So ironically, 
It turns out that a man who sleeps with a non-Jew may, from the level of the law, be in better shape than he sleeps with a Jew. So like I said, it's consensual. And so the Jew, she needs to go to the mikvah? But if she went to the mikvah... But if they're sleeping with someone just for fun and not to procreate... So that's the question. His question was... Consensual, unmarried, sex with unmarried people unrelated. Let's say she went to the mikvah. Which, by the way... Excuse me for all these examples! I wasn't pointing... Oh, I was... No, it's, I don't know. She was a hypothetical she. That was the universal she. Which, by the way, exists. Yeah, so assuming assuming the woman went to the mikvah, uh, there would not. Well, potentially there might be a problem of losia kadesha. There's another. There's another prohibition that says there shouldn't be women of ill repute in the community. And it's possible that if a woman is designated for someone, or if a woman is just sleeping around, then it might she she might run the course of, or she might run into the problem of not to be a kadesha. But it's also very minor. Kadesha, kadesha is the word for someone who's de- a woman who's designated for sexual activity. That's what it means. A woman designated for sexual activity. Yes. What well, means that that's her, that's what she does. Uh, that being said, there might be another problem: is that she may, according to some opinions, not be allowed to marry a coin afterwards. Good. Huh? I'm sorry. What's the? You said it says Isha Zona v'Chalal. Isha Zona v'Chalal The Torah says about about kohens that they're not allowed to marry Isha Zona, which means a promiscuous woman. In Hebrew, the term for a uh, prostitute is a Zona. So that's a zona. Uh, v'chalala and a chalala. Chalala means someone who come, a woman who comes, who is the result of a, uh, of, of a kohen sleeping with someone he's not allowed to sleep with. Okay? So if a kohen is allowed to marry a zona or chalala, but um, as to who is or what woman is under the uh, heading of a zona is a dispute. That's why I said according to some. According to, according to the most stringent opinion, which is the opinion of Rabbi Elezer, which is, again, this is in, in, in Yavamos, it says that he says a woman who just uh, in, uh, engages in consensual, um, unrelated, no strings attached sex with any man, that woman already becomes a zona and therefore may not marry a coin. So like we said, so like from the letter of the law, if she's not a nida and not really a problem of her being a Kadesha and she doesn't want to ever marry a coin or she's, you know, not, not that one opinion that says that would make her invalid to a coin. Not so bad. Does that answer the question? I love I these know. questions. Oh! Okay. Let's party on. Okay. Back to the discussion at hand. I know it's pretty late. Is it late? Oh my gosh. So let me just say that one idea. Let's just finish it. And we can all go home. I know we got sidetracked. It was pretty awesome, right? So, um, it's maybe, I, this is what I tried. What I, um, what I did was when I was on my diet, ill-fated diet, what I did was is that I would, ah, like when you're really hungry, uh, like you want to just consume a lot. And uh, you open up the Maimonides and he says that you should only eat of uh, three quarters or I remember two thirds or three quarters of how of, of your full. Um, and, and the explanation is, is that it takes time for the food to fill up your stomach. So you're still hungry, but you have enough food within yourself to... to uh, so what I did was, this is what I did, is I would take whatever food I wanted to eat, and I would typically eat, and I would just take half of it and eat it and then wait 10 minutes. And then after 10 minutes, your body, you, you, you know, you fill up, and boom, you're not hungry anymore. 
but beforehand, even though you had consumed enough food to be full, but you still had the temptation. And therefore, and maybe this is what really what Rabbi Tzadok was doing when he was saying, give me some food. He's saying, delay tactics, right? Wait the 10 minutes, the temptation may pass. So that's one, that's what, that, that's, that's all we got. You know, so there's four different Talmudic methods to deal with temptation. We got a definition of what temptation is from a Talmudic perspective. And we have maybe one response of what to do with temptation, delay. And I think it's I think it's a very, very good idea if people are dieting, which I think is very practical. It's just, just call it the half diet. You don't need to, you don't need to change anything. All you want to do is to not eat after you're full. Well, and, and that's where the, where the problem is. Well, how do you know where you're full? Well, you have to eat it. Take whatever amount you want to you want to eat, cut it in half. You cut it in half, you eat that with the same gusto, right? And all you gotta do is wait ten minutes. Because after ten minutes, right? The delay, the temptation is gone, and if you're hungry, well, you eat more. Finish it. If you're not hungry, well, then you know, then you don't need to eat anymore. You know, it has it has passed. And uh, thank you all for uh, for listening and uh, asking all these awesome questions. Again, sidetracked. Hope you guys enjoyed. And tomorrow night we'll see everyone at the dinner. Whoever wants to come, and whoever, and I'm not trying to put pressure on anyone, but whoever does, does isn't coming but wants to come, speak to me. Maybe we can work out a deal. And.